let's just get a sense, Rian, of what's in this archive, because a lot of it is should have been top secret, a lot of it clandestine mm. recordings. Give our listeners yes, yes. a sense of what's there, what Kirby could say had access to. What this was was the, the files that Kutia kept in his ministry about Mandela, and he was then Minister of Prisons as well as Justice. So, you know, it, it, quite clearly it was normal for him to have uh, files on, on Mandela and also on the other uh, high-profile political prisoners. What is unusual about this material is, A, the extent of it, because clearly Kutia became absolutely fascinated with Mandela, almost obsessive about him. And uh, the volume of material is, is unbelievable. I mean, the part we write about is a small portion of that, even of the collective, uh, you know, the Mandela, the composite Mandela file. There were there other files on the other prisoners also, like Walter's Hula and so on, but they're far smaller. The, the material, you know, it comprises a vast range of material, you know, press cuttings, secret government memorandums, and of course the uh, uh, analyses and so on. And then, of course, the other sh- uh, quite startling thing that nobody knew about was the fact that they had recorded Mandela's conversations with his visitors. Now, that is absolutely fascinating. It's not yeah. as if Nelson Mandela wasn't aware of his conversations being recorded. So these are conversations that he had with people when they came to visit him at Victor Vestare. And even when he went and walked out in the garden, they're being recorded. That's and- right. And you understand that Nelson Mandela himself knew this because there will be times where a fan is turned on, a radio is turned on, people whisper, or uh, if yes. he's on the phone to Tabu and Becky, for example, in Lusaka, they switch languages. That's absolutely correct. No, you're quite right. He was aware of it, and he worked his way around it strategically. It's quite clear. Now, in terms of the bombs, prior to you looking at this file, when I think about the information mm. that we had in the public domain about mm. the release of Nelson Mandela. We have Nelson Mandela's account. We have F.W. de Klerk's yeah. account. And there have been a couple of journalists, Paddy Waldemeyer and Alistair Sparks, who wrote books about Correct. that period. To what extent does the archive of Kwebi Kutsia either explode what we thought we knew or add new layers, new texture, richness to what we knew? It does. Uh, the point about the Wildmire and Sparks histories were that they were all based on interviews. Uh, and people chose what they told them and what they chose not to tell them and and so on. I mean, the startling thing about the archives is that you're looking at the original material. You're looking at actual conversations, actual secret government memorandums, which are beyond contestation. So, you know, they provide a whole new layer of material that simply did not exist before. I mean, the interesting thing to me is that, I mean, Mandela wrote about this, um, you know, this whole uh, process during the, his last years of imprisonment in Long Walk to Freedom, but he, 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 uh, his account was very incomplete. And we now know that a lot of it was, uh, you know, just simply swept under the carpet, both by him and by F.W. de Klerk in his book, Last Trek. So it's the first time that, we, uh, that this account is being filled out. It's also interesting to see how the interaction between Nelson Mandela and the National Party government, the senior ministers, was played out because it was kept highly, highly secretive. In fact, a lot of the documents that you've had access to have that big stamp, top secret, Eiteris Geheim, on it. Uh, We only knew after the fact that he had met P.W. Boerter, after the fact that he had met F.W. de Klerk. But give us a sense of the interactions that Nelson Mandela had with Kobi Kutsia in particular. Uh, how, How prominent was that relationship? How often were they meeting? 
how how much new light is shed on the interaction that Nelson Mandela had with the government while he was still in prison? Well, I, I think the archive confirmed what uh, Mandela himself wrote in Long Walk to Freedom and broadly what, what was contained in the Sparks and Wildmire Histories and other books. Uh, you know, that uh, that they started to interact, you know, because we could see a visit to Dean Fox in, in the hospital when he had an operation and so on. And then they met, very crucially, they met in 1985 at where we could see his house in Cape Town at, at Mandela's request. And that was a vital meeting because a lot of what happened afterwards emanated from that meeting. I think an important point to make is that a lot of the interaction between Mandela and government figures happened under, under P.W. Guerta, strangely enough. You know, this is when he started to meet with Kubi Kutsia. That is when they formed a secret committee, including Neil Barnard, who held a series of meetings with Mandela to probe his beliefs and maybe to influence them. And I just want to and, mention and, here, Neil Barnard was yeah. the head of the National Intelligence Agency. So a lot of that happened, oddly enough, you know, under P.W. Guerta, who, uh, you know, must have tacitly approved some of it. Also, when, when Mandela was moved uh, first to, to his own quarters in Polesworth and then later to, to what they called open detention at Victor Fester, all of that happened under P.W. Guerta and must have happened with his, at least with his tacit approval. But then there's a radical shift um, in 1989 when F.W. de Klerk ascends to power and he meets Mandela once in early December. And I think he, he writes in, um, in the last track that he was not aware of, of these conversations, but that he was then informed about them. And then um, he, uh, you know, he interacts with, with Mandela and with Kubi Kutsia. In my own view, he did so uh, to see whether it was going to lead somewhere. But uh, I think a very important point that emerges from all this is that for F.W. de Klerk, Mandela was not at the center of this process. He saw what he could get out of it. But for him, his decisions, you know, the, the, the initiative he announced on 2 February was, you know, was, was a much broader initiative. And, and it was a, a, announced as a matter of principle. And it was not as a result of, of, of the process with Mandela. And Mandela was not even at its, uh, at its center. Brian, how much involvement did F.W. de Klerk have with Nelson Mandela? We know of one uh, famous meeting at Tainhouse. Were there others? Uh, yes, this is a very interesting aspect of the archive. Um, they met on the 13th of December. And at that meeting, uh, de Klerk made some proposals to Mandela. And among others, um, uh, they proposed to Mandela that he, he, uh, uh, they asked him whether he, he would become um, a personal advisor to de Klerk after his release. This was because they apparently believed at that stage that he might be that the ANC that he might be sidelined by the ANC after his release. Um, and this idea remained hanging until 1 February, because there's a really interesting story. The Clark was due to meet Mandela again on 1 February. This was the day before his big speech in Parliament, but the meeting never took place. It was actually wrecked by, by the media. Uh, the convoy carrying Mandela from Victor Foster to Tainais was followed by media crews who at that stage were uh, camped out outside Victor Foster prison. So the convoy then went went to uh, Polesmoor prison instead, and Kwabi uh, Kutsia and another minister, Harris Kuryun, came to visit Mandela there on behalf of the clerk. And uh, presumably the clerk would have uh, then told Mandela what he was about to say in Parliament the next day. But also 
it, it, it emerges from the archive that the whole idea of Mandela serving as the clerk's advisor was still alive at that point, just the day before the speech. Now, we know that, uh, of course, today we know that this never happened. Uh, the whole idea just never became public. So at the same meeting, uh, the clerk might have asked Mandela for his response uh, to this proposal. Of course, as I say, we know this never happened, but whether Mandela finally declined or whether the clerk himself had abandoned the idea in the meantime remains uh, a mystery. I must say, from all the readings I've ever done on this, I had no idea that was even in the offing. That Not that I think Mandela would ever have considered it because he would have been severely compromised had he been an advisor to F.W. de Klerk. But in the history books that were in the public domain, in, in the accounts that were in the public domain, was this issue of the offer to become an advisor to F.W. de Klerk, has that ever come to light? No, I mean, to the best of our knowledge, um, uh, this is, is an absolutely fresh revelation. And in our view, it is a quite a startling revelation. And uh, it's, it, 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 it is uh, emerged from, from this archive for the first time in secret memorandums. Uh, interestingly, on, on, on the 13th, Mandela did not immediately refuse, maybe for diplomatic reasons, uh, or, or uh, he, he did not immediately refuse the offer. And, and the idea seemed to have remained alive until until the day before the clerk's speech. Um, now, one can only assume at that point that Mandela finally told him that he was not prepared to take up the offer, or in the meantime, uh, the clerk himself had decided to just let the whole idea slide. But it is a fascinating revelation.